Welcome back to the Pursuit of Property podcast. Today, Kate and I are talking, uh, following up our episode with David Keller uh, regarding some market change and how that's going to be affecting uh, all the people in the real estate industry, uh, in which we talk about. But obviously, there's a lot of shift in the overall economy. Cade, how are you this Thursday morning? I'm doing pretty good. We've had a, a good lineup of guests the past couple episodes, but I think this is a good topic for me and you to sit down and take what we've been listening from our mentors and people in our industry and relaying that to our listeners, which I think is going to be big, especially for a topic like this, which is really going to be make or break for the success of investors in this market, I think is going to be how they purchase at a deeper discount. I think that's the make or break with the shifting market that we're seeing. Yeah, I think this is the topic uh, or this is the time that everybody talks about when they say that the guys who survive are the ones who adapt the quickest. You know, um, frankly, you and I could have been better at some of the stuff that we're doing, but uh, we've had the, the benefit of being around a lot of guys who are really good at adapting. And, you know, we piggyback off them. We ask a lot of questions. You and I aren't scared to ask questions. And we're now implementing it in our business. And I think it's it's going to put us ahead of the curve compared to where some people might end up. Yeah. So a quick recap. I, I'm Let's recap this real quick before we take a deeper dive into um, our topic is whether you're a buyer right now, a seller, a realtor or investor one way or another that you're seeing these shifts in the market, however they may be, right? With buyers, their interest rates going higher, right? With all of these interest rate rate hikes. As a seller, you may be seeing a little bit longer days on market, um, a little more shift to maybe a more evened out market. And obviously as a realtor, whether you're working with buyers or sellers, you're also seeing those changes. But as an investor, it's interesting because we've encountered a couple different things. One being uh, sellers really not understanding that we're in a market shift. Sellers thinking that we're still in the same market we were in six, 12 months ago, where they think they can still get higher prices for their property, which as investors, we just can't pay those prices anymore. Right. So that's the whole thing behind our topic today of purchasing at a deeper discount. So let's jump into it. Yeah. I mean, I kind of want to just real quick, especially that comment about the sellers. I think we're in a chaotic six month time frame. Over the next few months, we're going to see the impact of, of doubling interest rates uh, in a single year. And we haven't seen it yet. And a lot of sellers are still thinking about what happened in April or what happened in May or March. And all the investors and all the buyers are thinking about what's going to be happening in November, December. And that six-month difference is going to be a big swing in who has power. And I think whoever is the most up-to-date on the data and who is the most... Uh, comfortable with their business strategy or their lifestyle, if you're just like for your personal residence, they're going to be able to make some big moves here as we're in the chaotic shift, sorting out who has what power. And, you know, depending on if it goes and stays still somewhat a seller's market or if it shifts to a buyer's market, you know, either party right now could have more sway in their transaction. Absolutely. So. 
So let's talk about the overarching, what, one of the most important things for investors when we're running our numbers, it, it's what we base our offers of. Everything works backwards from this number, and it's the ARV, the after repair value. Now, I know you had a deal recently, actually a couple deals recently, where you've been looking to get those assigned, right? And up until this point, we made a shift, you know, uh, actually a little while late in when we were having this booming market where we were being too conservative with our numbers. We were right. missing out on a lot of deals. So we made an adjustment to be more competitive, right? Our offer range might say X, but we were raising it to Y and still getting the deals done, right? And yeah. Even, and still purchasing at a deep discount, even when we were at that slightly higher price. But now, with the shifts in the market that we're seeing, with ARV, we're having to, instead of being you know, maybe a little aggressive with our ARV and going off of the highest comp, we're now realizing we're having to dial that back a little bit. And really what we're doing is going off of the lowest based comp. We're starting it, yeah. We're trying to really figure it out. So let's kind of break down what happened. So as a realtor, I have clients who approach me and they want to go either direction. And sometimes they want to sell direct. I had a client, good friend of mine, past client who said, hey, I want to sell you my house. I want you to take it as an investment opportunity. If the numbers make sense, I'm ready to let it go. And I said, great. We ended up having to sign a super long 90-day contract. This is at the end of March. At that time, I was making the offer expecting to have a partner on the deal. And I was still thinking it was a pretty solid deal. I paid the absolute tippy top of what I could have afforded to pay. But that's what you do with friends, right? So time went on. We were waiting on tenants to move out. That's why we had had such a long escrow. By the time the tenants were moving out, my partner had a deal fall through because of interest rate changes. I was looking at it as I'm getting this property the beginning of July, I get married in October. I don't have the headspace to manage all of these different projects and add this extra one without the help of a partner. But I no longer could add a partner back in because the profit margin was too small. So I ended up looking to assign it. And I told my family friend what was going on. They said, okay, as long as it doesn't affect us, we really don't care. We're grateful for everything that you've done already. I almost ended up having to take a loss to hand the deal off to a different person who wanted to do it. That's how quickly the market changed. I mean, we always talk about the real estate market is like a dimmer light switch. It doesn't just turn on and off. It changes slowly and it's a lot of variability. But the market definitely came down a lot faster than we expected um, from its height or its pinnacle back probably, I would say, at the end of Q1, beginning of Q2 this year. Yeah. So now... When we're looking at deals, we have to just be careful, right? We're thinking, okay, we can't expect to get the highest purchase or the highest sale price because our listings that we have right now are sitting on the market and we're getting at asking and whatnot are very close to it or higher even on a lot of deals. But when we put these deals into contract, that was when everybody's getting like 10 offers. So what's going to happen in a few months down the line when I go to list the house, right? So it's a good place to start. Yeah. So as a quick recap, if 
you're an investor running your numbers, trying to come up with an offer range to get to a seller, right? Instead of going with the highest comp and, you know, being ultra aggressive, which, you know, we fully admit we did and it worked. Uh, like you were saying, at the there, pinnacle of the market, but we're not in the pinnacle. Sometimes it worked. <laughs> yeah. And, but we're not in the pinnacle of the market anymore. So, what we've heard is in order to buy at a deeper discount, when you're running your numbers, either take a more conservative ARV from maybe a lower comp and or cutting the ARV by 10 to 15%, right? To account for potential shifts in, in pricing. Right. Right? Because you've got to think as a flipper, you may be buying a deal now, but really that thing's going to list you know, four, five, six uh, months down the road, right? Where we're not entirely sure where the market's going to be. But just as, as we've seen, end buyers and investors in their entirety are just being ultra conservative now because everyone's kind of waiting around, not really saying it, but we're going to be seeing a shift and they just can't pay. We just can't pay the prices we were able to pay. Back yeah. at the pinnacle of the market. Well, we've always preached, don't lock up deals that you can't actually close on. Yes. So to me, I have yet to price reduce a deal outside of wells going dry, which I've had three wells go dry in escrow, and I've had to price reduce on all three. But sellers understand when that kind of a thing comes up, if you don't know the well's dry, you know. Yeah. But we don't lock up deals and then turn back to a seller and say, hey, I'm not making a good, good enough profit. You need to drop your, mar- your price, right? So it's on you as the investor, only look to lock up deals at a price that you can perform on. And in a changing market, that requires that we just have to discount the sales price at the end. If a house was previously going to sell for 400, you got to think at this point with a buyer's purchasing power going down 10% already in one month, probably going to happen again here in July. We need to expect the pricing to come down. It's not going to go down 20%, but we need to expect it to come down some. Yeah. So definitely a a really important start. Now, there's no like actual perfect number. It's all situationally based. But I like what you said. What When we're looking at the comps, we're, we're basing it off of the lowest reasonable comp, not the highest reasonable comp plus 5,000 in appreciation. Of course. And we always... We always preach this to newer investors who ask us how to run numbers and, and and how to get an offer, right? And yes, we use this general quote unquote formula, but running comps and making offers, like we've said, is is really more of an art than it is a, a formula, right? So each house is going to be different. Each time you run your comps, it's going to be different. But what we're saying is to be conservative, what worked you know, three, four, even six to 12 months ago is not going to work now if you're wanting to find success in this business with purchasing properties at deep discounts and still either assigning or flipping them for a profit. And one of the other things that we've started really honing in on is what the purchase price is going to be. At this point, before we were buying houses that could be at any purchase price, really under a million dollars for the finished value. What's important to us now is that as buyers' purchasing power is going down with interest rate changes and inflation and all of the overarching economy, 
we're trying to pick homes that are still going to be affordable for a majority of the people in the area. So we're looking for homes at or below the median home value, which in Fresno puts you right in between 350 to 400 or lower. So a lot of the deals that you and I are looking to take down or are actively taking down, the final fixed up value is conservatively about 350 or lower. Now, not to say we don't talk to anybody. If a deal is really good, say you have a house that's like worth 600 fixed up, but the seller's willing to sell it to you for 280, well, yeah, of course you're going to talk to that seller. But right now, the cost of materials appear to be going up. The time delays are going up. Uh, you know, market seems to be going down. You really need a really, really big spread on those big deals to work, and they're just becoming less frequent. So if you are limited in the number of time or the amount of time that you have, dedicate more of your time towards the deals sub 400,000. Absolutely. And one of the key reasons for that, that we've heard and that we agree and preach too, is the market for houses in Fresno, in the Central Valley, for prices that are at or below kind of that median price range, there's always going to be people and buyers looking for houses in that range, right? And that's our expectation and our belief. So being able to stay in that sweet spot, uh, both purchasing below that, right? But then also staying at or above, excuse me, our ARV being at or below the ARV or the median housing price is key. Yeah. So let's talk about the next thing we kind of account for is so we start with that ARV and then you mentioned something important that we're seeing longer times with houses being on the market after they're all finished up or even just listings in general and a cost that is integral for investors to account for is holding costs and closing costs. Yeah. Now we've always traditionally run those as 13% of the after repair value. And that's kind of, again, a rough estimate of one, obviously holding costs, how much you're paying in private money interest, closing costs, you know, as in the realtor commissions on the back end, you know, PG&E, insurance, all this stuff kind of wrapped up in 13%. Now, for some people, their holding costs are a lot less if they have this stuff in-house. So we were kind of fluctuating and playing with that number a lot when we were being aggressive and making our offers. But I think one point we wanted to make is, again, be conservative with these numbers. Yeah. Well, as interest rates go up for the Fed, private lenders are going to raise their rates. So a big chunk when you flip homes, if you don't have the cash yourself, is the cost of borrowing the money. So if your private lenders or hard money lenders, interest rates are going up, you need to account for that. You can get your profits eaten up by that alone. But let's talk about a few more. Uh, real estate agents are going to be charging more. There's less agents in the business now than maybe before. And it's more difficult to sell a home. So they're going to want 6% because they're working a lot harder. Before they were giving a discount because a home might almost sell itself. The cost of... Uh, oh, I had it on the top of my tongue. Um, the cost of repairs in escrow. That's going to be going up because... No, although it's not a holding or closing cost, it takes time to sell a home and the buyers are getting picky. So expect that to be part of your selling cost 
These are things that you weren't originally planning to do, but now maybe it was agreed upon in the request for repairs that you need to do this little thing here and there. Things are going to just continue to go up in cost, right? And energy bills are going to go up because we're coming into the summer months and all energy prices are up. So you need to really be careful about the hidden fees of selling and really account for it. Yeah. Well, and excuse me, let's talk about direct costs a little bit too. You mentioned repair request, which is a term that most sellers probably haven't even heard or even put a thought into for a while with the market they've been in. But let's talk about the next kind of thing we account for, which is... Before we jump, you just reminded me, buyer's closing costs. Yes, absolutely. If if that's (laughs) like, we don't account for giving a buyer credit for their closing costs. We haven't for like years, two years. Yeah. So just another example where you have to start thinking because interest rates are going up, you might be asked to help cover some of the closing costs because maybe the buyers are spending money to buy their rate down. And that's the only way that they really want that house. Yeah. And it's important to know, I mean, these sound like little changes, but you know, when you add, you know, X, Y, and Z repairs, when you add an extra 1% on commission, when you add, you know, all this other stuff, maybe a credit for buyer's closing costs that, I mean, that's, that's not a couple hundred bucks. We're talking about, you know, potentially a couple thousand dollars. No, more than that. Dozens of thousands of dollars. Yeah. So like you said, it's, it's going to be a shift that people weren't used to, but now you've got to account for Cause like you said, it can eat up profits just instantly. Right. So let's jump now into the we next can thing. Go next. We'll talk about rehab, which you know, we know since COVID, you've dealt with this on a flip. At the very, very beginning of COVID, I dealt with it on my flip was freaking windows being delayed and holding up a yeah. whole flip, right? Oh my gosh. Having the whole flip be done and still waiting an extra two, three, four, sometimes even five to six weeks after the whole flip is done just for the windows. Yeah. Right? Cost going up for lumber. We saw that and we've seen costs kind of fluctuating, but. With everything that's going on in the economy, inflation, we've seen costs for rehab materials traditionally go up, right? Yeah. So when before, I remember when we first got started in the business, at least when I did a little bit after you, when we were running numbers, we were running rehab at $20 a square foot as a general you know, ballpark when making these rough estimates, right? $20 a square foot for rehab. And then most recently, we were doing 25 bucks a square foot. And now we're even being a little more conservative and bumping that up to $27, $28 a square foot. Yeah. Well, and I think it was important to us because we were doing flips and we're going to do the podcast episode. But I ran a condo with the same as I would a house, which means that I didn't have to do any exterior work. I didn't have to do any landscaping work. And I still went slightly over budget and I didn't really ball out on anything. You know, I really watched the figures. So we're thinking to ourselves, if it's costing us more to do this, we need to account for more, right? Because again, just like uh, if you have to hold the property one extra month, that eats at your profits. Well, going over budget also eats at your profits, right? And at the end of the day, we're not a charity, there are charities in this business and they'll buy it from you for even less. So if you want to donate your house, we'll, we'll get you in contact. But, you know, we can't just keep just saying, oh, well, we can take that out of the profit. At some point, you're doing six months of work. You got to get paid, right? 
at some point there's going to be no profit to take out of right. <laughs> to get the deal done. And that's right? how you start really losing is you start kind of rationalizing, well, yeah, we might go over a budget a little here and yeah, we might, you know, hold this property a little longer. You need to account for it. And previously when appreciation could help, you know, cover your butt, nowadays appreciation is going to level out if not dip. And when it starts dipping, you have to have extra gap and extra buffer to make sure that you can still do this and you don't start losing, losing, losing. Because that's how, just like Vegas, you're going to go broke. You can't gamble on the market at this point. You need to be safe. You're telling me I can't gamble on the market? Come on, man. I know. Uh, One of the things things that's good, I think initially I was thinking contractors are going to go up in price. My best guess is if there are anything uh, like other supply and demand markets, as there's less flips being done, hopefully they will come down. My only concern is that if sellers are willing to negotiate, there's going to be buyers still. So if more flips start coming up, you can expect the cost of contractors to continue to go up with the material. But maybe the contractor's if people jump out of the business because they're scared of a 2008 scenario, maybe contractors do get a little cheaper to help offset a little bit of the material cost. Yeah, this is kind of the X factor, right? I mean, we're very close with a lot of contractors here in town that a lot of investors and flippers use. We were talking to them, you know, just a couple months ago where they had too many bids and projects that you know, they were having to turn down bids and projects because they just didn't have the time or the capacity to do it. But then at just our most recent meetup, talking to one of the biggest contractors in town with them saying, yeah, things are still going good, but things are slowing down a little bit. So exa- exactly like you mentioned, it'll be interesting to see in the months coming forward, especially with contractors, with, you know, the supply and demand as a factor, inflation as a factor, Obviously, the economy as a factor, right? As not only inflation for goods, but if people wanting wanting to be paid more because what they could have afforded a while ago is now more expensive, mm-hmm. and you know them wanting to be possibly paid more. So, yeah, I think contractors will be interesting moving forward. Yeah, with what exactly might play out there, and and when you're talking to a contractor. Have a couple people come in, get a couple bids. Just like buyers have more power now than they did before, and they're going to leverage and wield that power against you to get the best deal they can. As a fiduciary of your business, you need to make sure you're a good steward of your your money. And you have to actually ask about, hey, what are you charging me line item? Look through the line items, compare. If you feel like a price is overcharged because... They're pricing it as if they have too many jobs to do. Well, ask questions. See if you can get that down. Because if you don't, you're going to be the only person who loses. And I promise you, a contractor is not going to drop you for asking about a price and trying to negotiate. This is part of their job. This is something that we haven't had before. And I think it's actually a healthy thing to have back. Because now you can have those conversations that previously, a contractor said it's going to be thirty grand. If you said, hey, can you do this for 25 and do these things as this, they would just blow you off, right? Yeah. Now, they gotta have a, they have to have a conversation with you. They might not give you 25, but they might say 26, and you save 4,000 bucks, 
And when the buyer comes back and says, I want to get a new HVAC unit, you saved a little money and you can now kind of make the numbers work. Absolutely. Well, and now let's talk about every investor's favorite term, the money, right? Your profit. Now, what's going to be especially important in this changing and shifting market is baking in one extra profit for you, right? Because of all these things, all these factors. And two, if you're looking to assign the deal instead of flip it yourself, baking in even extra profit on that end for the end buyer, for that flipper, right? Because like we talked about, flippers are getting more conservative with their numbers. We've seen when we send something to our group of investors, our feedback and our response rate is getting lower, right? A lot of people are buckling down and getting ultra conservative. If they look at a deal that's for X price and they don't think that there's gonna be a big enough margin on there that they may have had before, they're not gonna take the deal. So I think although you don't wanna be too ultra conservative, like when we were and we had the issue of losing out on a bunch of deals, in this market that we're in and that we're going to be seeing in the coming months, it's going to be important to bake in yeah. a little bit extra profit, both on your end and maybe even the back end, just to make sure you're purchasing at a deep enough discount. Yeah. And frankly, you're likely not going to make that profit. Oh, I mean, if yeah. you and I are being honest, <laughs> we on average, our assignment fees got cut in half, if not more. And so... If you're thinking to yourself, oh, that seems terrible. You're increasing your your profits in the middle of a downturn. Well, the profits aren't coming in. That's why. So you need to be careful because what's going to end up happening is if you don't price it correctly, you're going to spend all your money on marketing, all your time on negotiating, and then you're going to assign it for $0. And I'm saying this as somebody who's done it recently. It feels terrible. I had to assign my first deal for $0. I almost actually wrote a check to close the deal because to me reputation is more than profit and i'm not going to tell a seller that i signed a contract with that i can't perform because the market shifted on me in a way that probably could have been predicted now had the property had problems that they hid from me that you know that would change but like hey look this is the risk in our business is you buy houses and sometimes you're right and you make a great win sometimes you're wrong and you don't make as big of a win so when you're looking at it, in order to make sure that your reputation as being an honest and fair dealer and somebody who, when they say, once you sign this contract, this is the price you're getting, you need to make sure that you're, you're safe on your number. And so where before, maybe you could you know, budget, oh, I'm going to make $10,000 on an assignment fee. You need to make sure that you budget, well, the buyers, the cash buyers are going to be lower because we're we're all nervous of where the market's going. And so I needed to buy it maybe 20, 30,000 less than where I was thinking originally because what happens when my cash buyer comes back and says, nope, I'm at this price. I want to take a second. You mentioned reputation, which I think is going to be in a, a super huge important lesson for newer investors listening or new investors that get into this business because a common issue and problem that we see, especially with newer wholesalers specifically, is one, they are very hungry for the money, 
right? Which can be a blessing and a curse. And more so on the curse side is we often see people locking up, these newer investors, locking up deals too high and asking too high of an asking price, right? And exactly like you mentioned, when you then have to go back to the seller and either one, cancel the deal because you didn't negotiate the deal at a deep enough discount in the first place, or two, cancel the deal, and three, you don't want your reputation to all of your end buyers or all of these other investors as somebody who just sends out deals that aren't deals. Yeah. Right. If your name, if you consistently send out deals that are too high and you've got them locked up too high and it's just a whole host of issues, you're going to become the guy who, when a deal comes into somebody's email or across their desk, they don't even open it. They're going to brush it off. I've already gotten nervous about that because of the two deals that I sent out where one seemed too high and the other, I actually did do just fine, right? But I was talking with a couple of my cash buyers who I've worked with a lot and I said, look, I don't want to come across as the guy who's locking up stuff, taking off deals off the table uh, too high. And I'm like, look, I've dropped like all my purchase prices like 50 grand in order to account for everybody to make sure that everybody can win. Because the seller, yeah, they they need to win, right? They need to get a good price. But if they waited this long trying to time the market, this was the risk that they took. And it's not on us to overpay to some sob story about how they need it for this, that, and the other. If we feed ourselves this way and our family, right? And these cash buyers also have jobs and people under them and businesses. And at the end of the day, like... If the seller wants a performance or if they want somebody to perform, they need to actually be reasonable in their expectations. We'll talk about that in a bit. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of flippers are experiencing the flashbacks of 2008. They're being very conservative. You have to price in the fear factor when you are looking to assign. And at the end of the day, like your reputation is important and going and saying, I can make this price work and then price reducing, it always gets back to other people. Like you'll be surprised and you'll start burning bridges with other investors who were honest up front with the right price. And you took the deal off the table and then price reduced because at that point you took the deal and you lowered the reputation of cash buyers and you caused a whole bunch of problems for the seller. So that's a lose, lose, lose. Yeah. And speaking of cash buyers, let's talk about this really quick. As a seasoned investor, as a newer investor specifically, Finding your cash buyers and exposing your deal to the most amount of eyes is also going to be a super important factor. And I think buckling down in this market shift and either one, maybe teaming up in JVing with other investors who already have that built out buyers list, or even take us, we've got a decent sized buyers list, buckling down, going out and figuring out ways to add more people to our buyers list. Because what may not work for you know all of these people currently on our buyers list may work for the people who are out there and who are buying, but not currently on our list. Yeah. And uh, don't be like blasting out deals to people who aren't interested. Like don't lie to yourself. Right now, it's important to actually see how many good leads are coming through? How many clicks are you getting on your campaigns? You got to be smart about this. Like, if you say that you have a buyer's list of 500 people, but you only get 200 clicks, you have a buyer's list of 200 people. You've done something wrong. Either you're, you 
messed up your reputation in some way as somebody who doesn't send out good deals. People are just deleting it. Uh, you're spamming it and you're getting marked as spam and you need to figure out a new carrier um, for delivering. Or you just don't have people who are active in the business and you got to really start thinking about who's buying homes and problem shooting, okay, how do I get in front of the guys who are actually still buying? Absolutely. And I think this is a good segue into what I think in my opinion, this is going to be the single most important factor in purchasing at a deeper discount is going to be one informing and two negotiating specifically with the sellers. Absolutely. Now, the reason for that is we had mentioned it at mentioned it at the very beginning of the podcast, which is investors should expect a delay with sellers' expectations, right? It's going to take a little bit of time for sellers, their mind to shift to, crap, we're not in this crazy, hot seller's market that we were in a little while ago where I could have asked X for my property and gotten it, right? That, again, it's not like a light switch, right? With these sellers' expectations, it's gonna be a little bit of a dimmer. A lot of sellers are gonna be emotional that they felt like they missed the boat, right? So they may be scrambling, they may be trying to continue asking these high prices, but it's gonna be important to keep in mind that it's gonna be especially more important for you to be open and honest yourself and one, inform them about what's going on and still be sympathetic and patient enough for their expectations to fully come to fruition and realize, crap, you know, I really can't get that much for my property anymore. Really, this is what the market will bear. Yeah. And if you're a licensed agent, or even if you're not, don't fear monger. Don't lie no. about what's going on. The, the, the truth is scary enough. Like when you're talking to a seller, being able to say, hey, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, the market is not where it was six months ago. And the average seller right now is experiencing less showings, longer time on market, Typically, our prices are almost universally um, getting reduced. I would say, you know, at the end of the day, nobody knows where the market's going, but there's a lot of indicators that say it's not going great. And as either a listing or as a cash buyer, you need to be very realistic about the reality of what's going on in the economy, and we need to expect that. And we can either work to come up with a price today that we can offer you the best price that we can today, or we can wait six weeks and the price will be less. Of course. And we always pride ourselves on using the term being open and honest. And there's a difference between being open and honest and exactly like you said, fear mongering. Like don't tell them like, hey, we're experiencing 2008. In six months, I'm going to offer you 50% of what I'm offering you today. That's not true. So let's take that and then I'll use... Uh, the the other end of that in a conversation that I just had with the seller and I'd gone out on this appointment and he had said, yeah, uh, the seller had said, I'm not really thinking about selling this right now. I, I was really thinking about maybe in, maybe in a couple months. And I go, Mr. Seller, I completely understand. I always pride myself on being open and honest. We are seeing a shift in the market right now with interest rates going up and houses staying on the market a little bit longer. Just so you know, the price that I'm going to be able to pay you today 
is most likely not going to be the price I'm going to be able to pay you in a couple months if you're wanting to wait that long. Most likely it's going to be lower than the price I can pay today. I just wanted to let you know that just so you have expectations and are clear on what things are looking like from my end. Yeah. Now it, take that and compare it to exactly what you said. One, being open and honest, and two, the example you used of just straight up fear mongering. And yesterday when I was on my appointment, let's just go through the actual figures. This was a this is a small one bedroom, one bath in Lemoore that we've been in communication with the seller since January. In January, we could have easily paid him a hundred thousand dollars. After the last month and a half, we had gotten in contact with him. He postponed a whole bunch of stuff. He postponed our appointment, stopped answering calls. Then all of a sudden, out of the blue, he started communicating again. I went to the house yesterday. The true number I can afford to pay him now is only $72,500. And I talked to him and I said, hey, look, we're coming up on a holiday weekend. I had gone to the appointment with a contract. He had never mentioned anything about a wife. I had made a, I had made a rookie mistake in not making sure all of the parties that were making the decision were there. But the son and the dad were there, and we were missing the mom. I said, look, $72,500 is what I can do today. And I would be happy to sign a contract and move forward with it and lock us all in, do a 30-day escrow and move forward. But if you need longer than 30 days escrow or... If you take a week to decide, even a week at this point, the Fed will be announcing what's happening. And all of my buyers are going to continue to go down in price. And I said, frankly, I would be open to $72,500 today in a week. I can't promise that price. And I'll have to relook at the comps and look at the new solds that are going to be lower than before and have to make a new adjustment. And I said, when can I call you back? He said, well... I was thinking a couple weeks, but why not you call me after the weekend? I said, great. Just so you know, after the weekend, my offer will be expired, but I can run new numbers and give you a new price. Why don't I call you tomorrow night, which is now tonight? So it's important. Like you have to just be really clear with what's going on. And I shared with them what happened on my other deal. I said, I I don't pull punches. I just had a deal make $0. I'm not willing to do that again. I am not a charity, but if you want a charity, I'll get them for you. They buy cheaper than me. And they understood what I was saying and they were super reasonable. And, you know, we walked away from the appointment with an expectation that that 72.5 is here for today, but not forever. Yeah. Just being open and honest about one, informing and two, just setting expectations with the seller. Now, let's talk about the one other thing I mentioned. And I think this is the single most important factor to making sure you are finding deals in this market and it's going to be refining your negotiation skills. If you are not negotiating to purchase a property at a deep enough discount, you are not going to have a deal and really you're not going to have a business, right? So we've talked about and we've done a book episode on Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. You were listening to it for the for your 45 minute drive to Lemoore yesterday. Exactly that, refining your negotiation skills. Brushing up. Exactly. Knock the rust off, man. And if you're a new investor, making sure you are learning and putting, you know, putting time into education and learning how to negotiate and purchase deals at a steep discount. Yeah. That's going to be the single most important factor to finding success in the shifting market. 
If you don't put in the time to learn it or refine it, you're not gonna have a deal and you're not gonna have a business. Follow-up thought. I have not been on the phone with as many successful investors as I have in the last week. Every single day, I have talked to a highly successful investor to see what their business is seeing and to see what they're doing to change it. If you're not willing to ask for help in this market to see what other people are doing to adapt, unless you're some genius, you're going to struggle. It's not a sign of weakness to ask other people's opinions. And everybody that I have talked to is willing to share what they're doing. And you'll find that the more you talk to people, the better your business will do. If you don't adjust and adapt quick enough, you're going to get hit with a lot of losses. And I would hate to see you go out of the business because you weren't willing to ask other people for help. Well, and that's a quick point too. Let's talk about people <laughs> exiting or being pushed out of the business. I, and, and actually right before that, you had mentioned reaching out and talking to bigger investors, other investors in the space. And I think it's also going to be important to have those conversations with, have those conversations with your end buyers, have those conversations with the big flippers, have those conversations with the contractors, have these conversations with the lenders, right? The more informed you are across the board, the better prepped you're going to be going into that appointment to negotiate and lock up a deal. And you're not, you're not lying. You know what's going on, right? Being informed is probably the most powerful thing in a uh, negotiation. All you have to do is listen and then share what you know. The deal will come. Yeah. And exactly like you said, if people are not willing to take these steps and come in prepared and are not treating investing like a full-time job and kind of just winging it, I think we're going to see a mass exodus of people who aren't going to be able to find deals and who aren't going to be able to find success because they're not putting in the time and effort to you know, get to the point where they are negotiating steep, steep enough discounts on deals and finding success, which I was having this conversation with one of our big institutional end buyers. And it's like, look, at, at the end of the day, Really, it, it is better in our business to have the people who are treating this as a full-time job, full-time and effort and negotiating deals enough where there's you know a big enough deal for everybody, where people aren't having to cancel and go back to the seller and you know screw the seller over because they didn't negotiate it up, up front, right? So I think, like you mentioned, it'll be interesting to see, one, not only how the market shifts, but how that affects the number of investors and the deals yeah. that are coming out of our investor community. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll have to see. We wanted to have this conversation as the market's shifting. We're in the summertime. This is supposed to be the busiest time of the year. And if this is, it's a little bit of a warning sign to those of you that are not paying attention. And uh, I will say that we've had our close calls. We've shared some of those. We're still finding deals are coming and leads are getting better and warmer. And we're talking to more sellers than we were before. So there's a lot of opportunity here. If you're interested in getting in the business um, or being successful in the business, talk to as many people as you can, stay informed, be ready to be creative on dispositioning and acquisitions. And we look forward uh, to seeing you at the next big meetup, learning and growing and figuring this out. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for tuning in to this episode of the Pursuit of Property podcast. A quick heads up for next week's episode. We are super pumped to be bringing in one of our good friends, Arian, to talk about 
you know, we're talking about this whole changing market, right? But talk about something a little more personal, like what should you be doing with your financials, right? What yeah. should you be doing with your business to buckle down, but to also make sure that your business is performing and is profitable and is doing all this stuff. So stay tuned to that episode next week. I know we're super pumped. Absolutely. Should be a great repeat guest and Aryan coming on. He charges a lot of money for that kind of information and he's going to be giving it to you guys for free as a gift. Uh, he's a good guy all around. And so it'll be important as things change with the real estate market. Like we said, the overall economy is changing. It's good to check your purse and make sure it's not uh, draining. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys again. We will see you guys next week on the Pursuit of Property podcast.